Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Lords of Chaos from Swedish music video and film director extraordinaire Jonas Ackerland tells the story of the notorious rise and fall of Norwegian black metal band Mayhem. The film had its New York premiere at the 11th edition of Scary Movies, the Film Society's annual celebration of the horror genre. It is now playing in select theaters. At Scary Movies, director Jonas Ackerland and star Rory Culkin joined programmer Rufus Duran for a Q&A. Let's go to that now. I want to start with, I mean, we just watched this, I think one of the most, uh, I mean, I watch a lot of horror films. I watch a lot of movies. I also used to work at uh, Democracy Now! and I've seen a lot of news footage of things like this. And like, that's one of the most brutal, gut-wrenching, like deeply disturbing murders sequences. And it's so real. And I want to talk about both Jonas, you as a director and, and, and or you as a, an actor. Like, I think there's a very conscious decision to make both dead suicide and Hieronymus's murder like it's two of the most viscerally real, there's no exploitation here. And can you talk about like what that, how that decision was made to show this just very frankly and what it was like? I mean, it must have been hard to direct and also act. I mean, that's a lot of emotion in these scenes. Well, well um, I took an early decision that uh, everything in this movie should be as close to the reality as I possibly could. And um, that was uh, including the murder scenes. So that to me, taking part of uh, police reports, um, learning, learning what actually happened, uh, and I put it in the script. And I felt it was very important to stay true as much as I could, uh, even though that was hard. But um, so why not in those parts, if everything else? Um, but in real life, it, they're actually uh, pretty toned down. Not the first suicide, but uh, the other two murder scenes are pretty toned down to what actually happened. Uh, the Euronymous murder at the end, um, we only have a fragment of the stabbing that he did, and most of them were in the back because he was running down the stairs. Right. Uh, we did one staircase, and in real life, they did three all the way down. Uh, so there was actually a lot more to it than what we, what I wanted to have in the movie. What was it? How how did you get in that space, as an actor? I mean, it it must have been. I guess because you're playing someone, real, and you're trying. What the movie does is bring so much humanity to these characters. It doesn't lionize them. It just sort of presents them as these troubled boys with energy and creativity, but also clearly just having a rough time of life. How, how did that affect your performance? I mean, is it something that you had? And was it hard to get into that mentality because you are playing a real character or a real human? Yeah. Um, does this work? Yeah. Um, I don't know. The performance is based largely on, on photographs of Euronymous because uh, there are hundreds of them and I sort of would separate them into where he's posing and candids and, you know, sort of try to piece a human together through that. Um, but initially I was, you know, pretty intimidated by these guys uh, for obvious reasons. 
Uh, but then I just had to keep reminding myself that that these kids were artists. Like they would go to the cemetery for a photo shoot. You know, they had art projects, and so I would just look for um, the softer elements of them to find my entry. Uh, yeah. And the other thing I think is interesting is that, I mean, the beginning is based on truth and lies. And I wonder if you guys could talk about that. I mean, what's, uh, I mean, clearly, like you said, there were some parts of the story that were even crazier or more visceral than what was on screen. How were those decisions made? Um, I, I think it's, um, like I said, I wanted it to be as true as, as I possibly could. And there's so many years that's been passing since this happened. And the story has been told from so many different perspectives. And, um, you know, after a few years, the fish gets this big and stuff changes and it's like a word game. So it's, it's close to impossible to really, even the people that were there, I don't think, I think I know more what's happened than they did because I've done so much research and I, but it, it wasn't fair to say that it's, that it is the truth because that's impossible. So I just added the lies there uh, to kind of like, be in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I wanted to talk too about the musical choice in this film. I think it's interesting. It's a it's a, a biopic about black metal musicians, and yet there's really only a few scenes of performance or rehearsal, and actually a lot of the music is more electronic. And why was this decision made? I mean. It, it's all, like, do you feel that, like, do you wish that there was more in here to uh, sort of entry no, into the black metal? It's painful music to listen to like this, you know. Um, so I wanted to spare the audience from not torturing them too much. But, uh, and it's, it's really not a music about black metal, even, even though that's what they're sure. doing. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I needed like two sides of it because I needed some sort of tool to pushed the uh, emotional side of it too. And Sigurd Ross, uh, uh, Jonesy from Sigurd Ross read the script early on and connected really well with the script. So um, to me, that was just a perfect tone and balance between the two, the two. Did you know early on that you wanted to film this in English? Um, um, yes, for me, that was, uh, um, yeah, for sure. There was never, I wrote it in English from, from day one. And uh, it's probably the, the biggest, the, I'm so proud that I am close to the reality and I'm telling everybody that I, you know, it's very true and real. And the first thing I do is write it in English and hire American actors. <laughs> so, and I'm going to get a little, lot of shit from that, especially from, yeah. from the Norwegian community. But, you know, what can I say? You know, I want this movie to be for the world and not just for Norway. And right. there's no great actors like this in Norway. <laughs> Uh, Rory, what drew you to this project and this character in particular? Like, how early did you come on in the process? Um, I was I was chasing this for years, um, and we would meet up every you know every year, a couple times a year, and discuss it. Um, I don't know. I, I was drawn to Euronymous because he was the most human to me. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, it's so hard to to even put into words because I spent I was so close to it. You know, I 
I forget how like silly some things look on on the screen, like when I wake up dead in the coffin, you know, <laughs> or people are laughing and right. I don't get it because I'm, you know, he's just in bed to me. Um, so I'm still trying to tr translate it into my normal, you know, viewing. Rory was loyal to this project, and luckily for me, he's got a forever young face, so I could keep him on the cast, even though it took years to develop. Sure. So, and then he grew his hair, and then when we finally got a greenlit, he booked another job and he cut it off, so we had to use a wig anyway. So, so. And, and now you've grown your hair out again. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I want to kick it out to the audience. Um, so how this is going to work, uh, we have uh, wireless mics, so please wait until the mic gets so everybody can hear. So raise your hands. Yes, here and yeah, right there. Uh, just real quick, I was kind of curious as to where the actual church burnings that were filmed were done. Um, uh, it's actually a little bit of a mix. The whole movie is shot in Budapest, except one day where we shot in Norway. Uh, the movie was shot in 18 days, which is pretty incredible. Um, and the church. Uh, the church, yes, we, we built miniatures, uh, but they were still big enough for the flames to look, because if you build them too small, it looked like Godzilla, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so they were big enough to make it look good. Um, and uh, we actually got wood from Blade Runner, because they were shooting before, and we couldn't afford wood. And Ridley is one of our producers, so he gave us all the wood. So we actually burned down Blade Runner sets, which was <laughs> kind of cool. So, and then, uh, but Holman Colin, the big one we shot, we, uh, we burned at the end. We actually shot in three different steps because we shot the exterior and the real one in Norway. But uh, the priest wouldn't let us shoot inside. So we shot in a little uh, building next door. And then we shot the exterior in Norway. So that's a patchwork of three different, different places. Next, yes, up there. The one thing I didn't understand about the film, or I didn't get, especially based on you saying you wanted to be real, was the, um, the nightmare sequence and then the flashback sequence with Dead in the Forest while he's getting his hair cut. What were you trying to, what, what were you trying to say by that? Or what were you what, trying to show? You, you mean with Euronymous uh, flashbacks? Yeah, they should, he has a nightmare earlier and then he's having a flashback while he's getting his hair cut. That he's in the forest with Dead. Right. What, what is that based on, or what are you trying to say? Well, it's like, to me, that there's... I know one thing for a fact, and this is me talking to, especially Euronymous parents, how important Pelle, dad, was in, in, uh, in Euronymous' life. He was a very important character, and they spent uh, only a couple of years together, but they became very close. And I was trying to figure out the way how he was haunting him and how he kept holding on to the memory of him and um, the, the dream sequence became kind of like a part of the whole Euronymous arc and how he lets go at the end and actually cut his hair which is a big statement to do in this in this black metal community to actually cut your hair and also at the same time letting go of Varg moving forward in life starting to listen to electronic music and eventually let it go of the nightmares of him um, haunting him. I hope that makes sense. And he actually did cut his hair, and which was uh, something I didn't know. No. Um, I got from the police investigations a picture of the, of the dead body. And uh, I said, this is not him. 
uh, there was a lot of blood and stuff, but I said, this is not him. And they said, yes, it's him. And it's like, well, he's got short hair. And it's like, yeah, I cut his hair the night before he died. And to me, that was actually a big part of that arc, knowing that he was on his way somewhere and he wanted to, you know, just leave everything behind and move forward. So it's actually a very important discover to find out that he cut his hair. Yeah, and, and to me, I think dead represented the purest form of, of this black metal. And um, I always saw that scene as um, him going, asking permission, if you want to look at it face value, that, that he, is this cool? Is everything we're doing, is this all right? Um, yeah, that's how I always interpreted it. Yes, right here. It's cold in here. It is very cold. Just a Swedish guy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for uh, creating a very believable uh, <laughs> portrait of early 90s Norway that I certainly recognize. Um, how did you have any issues uh, filming in Norway? Because Norway does not is not a country very much known for as a, as a filming location. Did you have any issues with uh, bureaucracy or? even with the Church of Norway making this movie? Uh, like I said, we shot one day in Norway. And this movie was shot with handheld cameras with practical lights, so we were very small. Um, and we actually, we, had, we, we actually had one problem now when, you've, now, now when I come to think of it, because we were supposed to shoot uh, the exterior of Varg ringing Euronymous doorbell, we were supposed to shoot at uh, the relocation where Euronymous lived and where he got killed. Um, but the, the rumor came out and there was a ton of Norwegian paparazzis there. And I didn't, want, I didn't want any pictures at that time. So in the last minute, we moved to another location around the corner, which looked pretty much the same. Um, which is actually good that you could do that. Just in, in America, you would need permits to move, but we just did it. But other than that, we, other than that, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was mostly like, you know, these view shots in the mountains and like some city stuff that we shot there to, to get the Norwegian flavor. Yes, right here. Um, this is uh, basically true, but his uh, relationship with his girlfriend, uh, how much is actually known about her. Has she ever been um, interviewed? And were some of their scenes, which were alone and intimate, is um, fiction, shall we say? It just um, dramatized. Well, um, remember the lie part? in truth and lies. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that Euronymous had a girlfriend when he died. Uh, I've seen pictures of her, but in, in truth, I don't really know much about her. I know she took some of the pictures that we have, that we've seen, and uh, I know that she was around at the very end when he died. Um, that's pretty much it. Well, I got, we got to talk to Attila's girlfriend at the time, uh, who, who became the lead singer later. So we, I did get, speak, get to speak to a, a girl that was in his presence and asked her about Euronymous' girlfriend and her limited knowledge of that. But um, 
Yes, there was some. Yeah. There's evidence she was there, but she wouldn't talk to me. So. Actually, speaking of that, like, uh, how much input did people in the scene have uh, in the story? I know Varg didn't want anything to do with it, and you had to re-record, I believe. I'm sure he won. Oh, okay. Uh, but how much other people... Um, no, I mean, yeah. in order for me to get... Uh, uh, I mean, I know a lot of these people, sure. and, uh, but we did need sign off to use their music. So uh, on a pretty early state, they read the script. Um, I'm sure that a few of them would have wanted to be involved a little earlier. And I'm sure that they were a little disappointed about it. But um, I think there's so many players involved. And I, I took the decision to make this movie uh, from my point of view and the research I couldn't done. But um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that would have done this movie in a different way. Um, most of the key guys in the uh, in this scene have seen the movie and uh, like the movie and kind of like approved the movie, um, which is great. Um, yeah. yeah. One or two more questions in the audience. We have one in the middle right here. Help pass the mic back, please. Thank you. So one thing I noticed uh, during the film was that um, there were there were moments where the characters seemed very young and very juvenile and almost like children, and there were other times where they seemed more mature and more adult-like. So I was wondering if you can comment on the like how you navigated that boundary between child and adult. I think either one. I mean, they were very young. Uh, they were basically very young, productive, and driven children, basically. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time to have bands and represent the bands and um, start a record label, start a record store, kill people, burning churches. I like that. That would keep you busy. And they were very, very young. Uh, so to me, there has to be like some playful moments in there because they were kids. You know, the movie starts uh, when they're like 17, 18, and, it move, and the movie ends when they're 23, 24. You know, that's, you know, that's pretty young. I was wondering, did you intend, sorry, <laughs> did you intend for the uh, Metallica video that you filmed a couple of years ago to be like a dress rehearsal for how this movie would uh, end up being? We, we actually didn't shoot it a couple of years ago. We shot it when we shot the movie. We shot it at the same time. So this is what happened. Lars Ulrich called me. I've done videos with them before and said, we were making videos of the new album. We have these songs. We're going to do one for each song. You could do whatever you want. Take one. And I said, sorry, I can't do it. I'm shooting a movie. And then I turn around and I see these guys holding instruments in wigs ready to go on a stage. So they were practicing hours on their instruments. Um, and we had like 12 songs or so, and I said, here's another one, a 13th one. And then we added a couple of hours on the end of the day and shot the music video. Yeah, we thought we were really cool when he handed us the new Metallica song. We're like, fuck Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> All right, come bring it. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have time for one more question. Let's get right here in the front. Uh, you can yell it out, and I'll repeat the question. 
So the question was, one is the, the parts with Varg and the girls part of the truth or the lies? And then the second question was, what's the, the that Varg, uh, the actor that plays Varg was an interesting choice for Varg uh, and why that choice was made? Yeah. Well, I mean, with the girls, he had, I think he had his first kid when he was like 14 or 15 or so. And I think he's got six now, so that's kind of a good start. And he did have uh, he did have a lot of uh, girls around him. Uh, there was actually a woman in Sweden that was uh, convicted uh, with jail for jail for taking orders from him. So he was a little bit of like a Charlie Manson kind of guy with the girls. Exactly how much he was boning, I have no idea. But uh, maybe you can ask him. I'm sure he would be proud to give you the statistics. Yeah. And then th about the choice for the actor that played him. Uh, Emery's just a fucking awesome actor, and he, he was just perfect for it. And you mean he's not tall and thin? That's what you mean? And Jewish? <laughs> no, I, I was just very happy that he wanted to be involved because he's such an amazing actor. That's about it. All right, well, thank you guys for joining us, and thank you all for sitting here. Please join us in the reception area across the hall. Thank you so much. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.